praying that the Lord will send the Holy Spirit, number one, to be in this place, that souls may be touched and hearts may be changed. You know, in Isaiah chapter 53, we have what is what has been termed the Old Testament Gospel. That's way I that's just the way I have termed this this title. The Old Testament Gospel. And it's the same as the New Testament Gospel, but it's found uh, many, many thousand years ago, and we're praying God will just open the eyes of the blind, and we may see, those that have the greatest need may see salvation through the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says in verse 1, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, I'll be honest with you. There's been many a day that I've walked out of this pulpit asking God who has believed our report. I believe that should be the cry of every preacher that stands behind the pulpit of, the day, of today's New Testament Baptist church. I believe they ought, to have a, they ought to have a desire to see lost souls saved and it ought to break their hearts when they don't see souls trusting the Lord as their Savior. Of course, we know that all of that's up to the Lord, but still we, we long to see people come to know the Lord as their Savior. We long to see the arm of the Lord be revealed and stretched out to a needy individual. And if you don't have that, you don't belong behind the pulpit. Amen? If you don't have that desire, if you don't have that that, that longing to see lost souls saved. I don't believe you need to be standing in one of God's true New Testament churches. We need to preach the gospel. Matter of fact, it's the only means by which men today can be saved. If there's no preaching of the gospel, the Bible states a fact that, listen, it is the gospel message that changes lives. It's the preaching of the gospel according to the Apostle Paul that he was not ashamed of because it was the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So back as Isaiah was writing this, Isaiah was looking forward to a Redeemer that was going to come. He looked ahead to that one that was going to come and Give his life a ransom. And he speaks very vividly of what took place in Matthew 27. Isaiah had a mind for what God was showing him. He had a mind to write it down. Of course, that's the way God has intended all his word to be inspired by him himself. Many times people say, well, that's just some some old man's uh, thoughts a long time ago. But no, it isn't. This is the ancient of days thought. You want to you wanna get real right down to where it is. You know, a lot of people disrespect the God of heaven by calling him the old man upstairs. Let me tell you something. He's not the old man upstairs. He's the ancient of days. He has been from beginning. He is before the beginning. And that's the God that I want to serve today. The God, the living God. The Bible goes on to say in verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And again, I want, you to, I want you to know what that represents. What all that entails. 
as, as a root out of dry ground is speaking of his, his being placed in another place. His heavenly abode is where the glory of God was. And he left the glory of God, which is what we're going to be dealing with tonight. He left the glory of God to come to a sin-cursed earth. A land that was filled with uh, the evilness of the times. And he came as one who was transplanted from another place. Verse 2, I believe, is very, very miraculous in its speech. And as you think about where Jesus came from and what he came to, he was like a root in dry ground. He, was, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we were healed, or we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Remember that, you know, as he went through the trials and as, 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 as they were bringing charges against him, he just stood and listened. He never, he never rebuked them. He never said anything. He just... And they couldn't believe, why Why ain't you speaking? Isaiah had a good picture of this, didn't he? Isaiah, as he, as he looked at, at the future to come, as God opened his eyes and his mind, Isaiah is depicting here exactly what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. He says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Verse 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth and he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Listen, child of God, I want you to remember this. This is the reason why today that you're saved by God's amazing grace. This is the reason why today you can sit in a house of God such as we have here and worship in spirit and truth. This is the reason why today that He gives you understanding. Once you're saved by God's amazing grace, He opens your mind to the things that God's Word says and has for us. Oh, what a Savior. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. 
And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. You remember Joseph of Arimathea, the tomb that he had Jesus put in. It was his own tomb. And I believe, you know, I've heard it said many times before because he knew Jesus didn't need it long. I don't know that Joseph of Arimathea ever went into that tomb thereafter. It was never mentioned. I don't believe I could have went into the place where my Savior, as the Bible declares, as, as, the, Bible, uh, as the Bible puts it, as He was in the earth three days, Oh, it would have been a place of majesty, I would think, because he was paying for our sin debt. He was waiting upon the, the, the final approval of God the Father, I do believe. Because the Bible states on, on that Sunday morning, on that resurrection morning. Now I want you to look at this. The Bible states that God raised him from the dead. You know what that what that, what that says? Said that God was satisfied with what His Son done. Amen. He was satisfied not only with His death and not only with the life that He lived and the death that He died, but He was satisfied with the, with the, with the turmoil of His soul. As He paid our sin debt, as He took upon Himself our iniquities, he left the glories of heaven for that. May God help us to see that. The Bible grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Speaking about God the Father. It pleased God. That his sons should suffer the death that we should have served. It pleased God the Father that his son should feel the pains of sin upon him. The sin that he did not, did not do nor did he earn the, the reason for. We're talking about the sinless, the pure sinless son of God. You know, I've often, I've often wondered about this and I began to study on this and pray about it. And you know, as, as you think about Jesus Christ taking upon himself our sins, the Bible states that God placed upon him the chastisement of the people. The guilt of the people. But you know when that took place? In the ninth hour of that crucifixion, I'm speaking of the ninth hour of the day, when all the earth became dark, when all the light around Jesus Christ became darkness, and Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani, I to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know when that took place? You see, it didn't happen at the beginning of the crucifixion. There was the perfect Son of God, the perfect sinless substitute. There was the one that God could look upon and God could face and God could see as He died there on the cross of Calvary as He was, 
as He was there as that sinless substitute. You see, God cannot look upon sin. Nor does God look upon sin the way that you may think. It was at that moment when God placed upon Him our iniquities. Your iniquities. That the darkness overwhelmed the earth and God turned His back upon His only Son. Again, the Bible states that where, where He cried out, Eli, 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 that was to say, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He forsook Him because of your sins and my sins. Today, if you're here and you're lost and you don't know the Lord's your Savior, understand this, that listen... The God of heaven has required death for sin. The wages of sin is death according to the book of Romans in chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The death that you and I deserve, Jesus Christ took willingly upon the cross of Calvary. So again it says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put upon him, he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The word iniquities is the word for sin and transgression. Jesus Christ came to bear our sins upon Calvary. As Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was going there knowing that he was going to be taking our sins and our iniquities and placing them upon himself and there dying upon the cross of Calvary, bearing our iniquity. Therefore, says verse 12, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah had a beautiful picture of what Matthew 27 was all about. May God help us to see that as saved individuals. May God help us to rejoice in our salvation. Look at what Isaiah is saying. And then you go back and you think about what was written in the book of Matthew. Listen, Isaiah was looking forward to what Matthew 27 was all about. Our Savior, our kinsman redeemer, dying for us on the cross of Calvary, taking upon himself our sins and iniquities, therefore becoming our scapegoat. Becoming our sacrificial lamb. May God help the lost in this house today to see what he's bringing forth. Heavenly Father, Lord, as I bow before your throne today, I do so with thankful hearts. 
Thankful, O oh God, that you have blessed in a great and mighty way. You have saved many souls down through the years. Thousands upon millions of millions have been changed because of what your son done for us at Calvary. Lord, I pray that you will open up the mind of the blinded that's here today. Lord, that you would help them today. Open their ears that they may hear for the first time the glorious gospel of salvation. And Lord, I pray that you will open the, the eyes of we that have been saved. Remind us once again of what it took that we might have salvation. Oh, dear God, today, blessed in this house, Empower thy word to go forth. May the Holy Spirit use it. Not only for the edification of the saints, but for the salvation of lost souls. Bless us this day as we praise thy holy name. Forgive us our sin in Christ's name. And amen. Once again, the Old Testament gospel. Emmanuel, to our visiting friends and our radio audience. Today we shall hear from the Old Testament of the gospel message. The gospel according to Isaiah is one of prophecy from the Old Testament era. Isaiah prophesied of the coming Redeemer. Notice the picture that he paints for us of the coming events. First of all, verses 1 through 3, we see the lonely King Redeemer. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, the Bible says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Folks, I want you to know something. Our kinsman redeemer went through an awful lot in that day. Isaiah writes about the fact that he was, he was as if he was plucked out of one place and put in another. And folks, that's what that's all about. He left his heavenly home. He left the splendor and glory of heaven to come to this sin-cursed earth to die for a people who wouldn't even have him. John chapter 1 verse 11. The Bible says he came unto his own. But his own received him not. Can you just imagine the turmoil that must have been going through the mind of Isaiah as he looked ahead and his own people would reject the very kinsman redeemer who came to purchase their souls and to pay their sin debt. How lonely Christ must have been in that day. As a matter of fact, the Bible begins to state it in, in the book of Matthew that even as, as he was getting ready to go into the trials and as they, as they were taking him before the heads of state, so to speak, that Peter was outside warming himself by the enemy's fire and he wasn't even denying that he knew him there. Could you just imagine what the mind of Jesus Christ was thinking the night of his betrayal? He was betrayed by one of his very own, the one that he, one of those that he had even chosen. As a matter of fact, the Bible stated the fact that one of those that had been chosen, listen, was going to be the one who betrayed him. Can you just imagine for just a moment the greatest friend that you might have had in life and they have done something to betray thee. Listen, it's a hurtful thing, isn't it? 
You feel all alone. You feel vulnerable. You feel, you feel like you're in a place where who can you trust? If your best friend, if one of those that were really close to you would turn their back on you. And I go on and I think about Peter. As Peter, as Peter was standing there uh, uh, warming himself by the enemy's fire, you know, it came to a point after he had been questioned several times that he finally began to swear. He began to use language that wasn't appropriate for a child of God. Can you just imagine as Jesus Christ looked, especially after that, that old rooster crowed? Can you just imagine? As Peter's eyes met the eyes, the eyes of Jesus Christ, could you just imagine what Jesus Christ was looking at when he realized that the one who said he would do anything for him had denied him three times right there? Could you imagine the loneliness that Jesus may have felt at that time? I'm talking on the human level. The personal level. The, the level where Jesus Christ was the man, the God-man. But yet, could you just imagine, even as he hung on the cross of Calvary, as he was giving up the ghost, the Bible says there was many of them that were afar off. They were on the other hillside looking and watching. Many people today laugh and scoff at this. Many people today will laugh and, and jeer as, as, this, as this word is being spoken. But yet, listen, Jesus Christ... I don't believe there was one time that while he hung on the cross of Calvary that he had anything smiling about. As he hung there between heaven and earth, as he was there in that place of, 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 of conflict, the place where he was taking upon himself our sins, I want you to know something. There wasn't no smiling going on then. He was hurting inside. The Bible speaks about the fact that pain overwhelmed him. We sing songs from time to time that speak of the pain of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know something. Jesus Christ never spoke out in anguish against those that were around him. As a matter of fact, the only thing that he would do would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen to that now. You know, even today as, as people jeer at the, at the gospel preacher or at the gospel message, listen, I would dare say that even today that Jesus Christ would say, but Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A time of loneliness. A time as this Savior of mankind would give His life a ransom for all those whom the Father had given. He willingly died in their place. Listen, if you're saved by God's amazing grace today, I want you to know something. It's a serious thing to realize when you hear the gospel message, when you hear how Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died, that you might have life. Listen, it's something that you really need to take, take notice of. The Bible says... Uh, at this verse of scripture in verse 2 of Isaiah 53 listen he left his his heavenly abode 
to come to earth to sorrow and suffer for those that didn't deserve it. A tender plant and a root out of dry ground. In John chapter 3, the gospel of John in chapter 3, notice what it says here in verse 31 with me for just a moment. John 3 and verse 31. Think, think about this now. The Bible says in verse 31, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, again here as we go back to the book of John, we made reference to it just a moment ago in chapter 1 and verse 11. But notice what it says here. In John 1 and verse 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist spoke of him. John the Baptist spoke very plainly about this Savior who came from glory. He left everything to come to an old sin-cursed earth to have those that were around him even to leave him and walk away from him. The loneliness of the King Redeemer. Secondly, I want you to notice this. The bruising of the Savior is opened up before us in Isaiah chapter three or 53. The Bible states this in verse 3 down through verse 5. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely it borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I go back and I think about this, this Savior of ours. The bruising of our Savior. Do you realize what took place in verse 66 through verse 68 of Matthew chapter 26. Notice with me here. Matthew 26. Notice what it says here now because I, I, we're talking about the bruising of the Savior. And here in Matthew 26, the Bible states this. In verse 66 down through verse 68 here. What think ye? They answered and said he is guilty of death. Then they did spit 
on his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands saying prophesy unto us thou Christ who is he that smote thee? I mean just for a moment I want you to go there. I want you to think about being surrounded by a group of individuals who would blindfold you In the Old Testament history, it speaks of the fact that they put a towel over his face or, or, or you know, a, a, a thin towel to where he couldn't see. And what they began to do was to, to take the, the palm of their hand and they would beat him across the face. After they had been spitting on him and after they had pulled the beard from his face, they would take their hands and they would beat him. And the Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities. Friend, I want you to know something. That's the bruising that he took physically. He took a beating like you and I could never take. He took that that you and I should have taken. And they beat him. And they beat him. And they beat him. Folks, I want you to realize our salvation, although we use the term free, was not free. It cost Jesus Christ a whole lot more than a lot of people realize. As the Bible states in the first part of Isaiah 53 and verse 1, it states the fact that He left His heavenly abode to come to this earth. He was like a root out of dry ground. You know what that was? That's established ground. That's where the roots are good and deep. And he was transferred to this old place. You know what happens a lot of the times when you, when you do a, a tender plant like that? Boy, ask Brother Jared or any of these other farmers around here. When you try to start transplanting, especially without water, you're going to stunt a, a, a young plant really hard. It wilts and falls over. Especially if you put it in ground where there's no moisture for it to, to get some strength from. You think about our Savior who came to this sin-cursed earth. It was not His permanent home. It was not His place of abode. And yet He left it all knowing that He was going to suffer because of the leaving. Think about it. He knew that He was going to suffer. He knew that he was going to pay the awful price, the price that you and I should have paid. He knew he was going to be that tender plant, that reed that was shaken in the wind. He knew. He knew that trouble was coming. The bruising and the beating was known in the Hebrew as dakah, and it means to beat to pieces. It means to break. It means to bruise. It means to crush. It means to smite. Jesus Christ was beat to pieces for you and I. That's what Isaiah, that's the actual Hebrew that Isaiah would have, would have written this in. He beat him to pieces. The Bible speaks about the fact that that when Jesus Christ was in the trials and, and very at the very end when, when, when he was turned over, they had whipped him with a cat of nine tails. They had beat his back so vividly 
You say, preacher, you're getting awful vivid here. Listen, our eyes need to be open to the suffering that our Savior went through and paid for you and I salvation. I think too many times people forget what it took to purchase our salvation. And you hear this term so often that our salvation was free. Listen, it was. He gave everything up for this. To be bruised, to beat to pieces. Isaiah had a way with words and I mean as I studied this out and I began to look at what Isaiah was saying there, I could just imagine what he was, what he was referring to because I want you to know something. The Word of God is very vivid about punishment. I mean, you go, and you go back and you start looking through the book of Leviticus. You start looking through the other, the other books where, where punishments, uh, uh, you know, according to the law, the things that were done to punish people. And they were very vivid about it. But you think about our Savior who didn't deserve anything. Those that were being punished in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and, and all those, listen, they were being punished for due reason. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, had done nothing amiss. He had done nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, when, when they came out of the first trial, he said, why? What has he done? And he couldn't find anything. He was the perfect son of God. That's why. He had no sin. He had no transgression. This our Savior willingly endured for our sakes. We also have the word that, that meant mutilated. Jesus Christ was mutilated for you and I. In Matthew 27 and 29, again here the Bible states this in verse 29. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and they smote him on the head. You know why? Right on top of that old thorny crown that they placed upon his head. They beat it, they beat it down over his brow. This was so you and I could be saved. Can you just imagine? Oh, what a Savior. The book of Mark, uh, uh, chapter 15 and 19, I mean, even, even speaks about this uh, as well. And here the Bible states in, ver- in chapter 15 and verse 19, it states this. And they smote him on the head with a reed and they spit upon him and bound their knees to worship him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the, the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Oh, what a Savior. Thirdly, I want you to know he is depicted as our sin bearer. He's already paying the awful, the awful price physically But now notice what it says in Isaiah 53 and verse 6 where the Bible states, first of all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, speaking about God, have laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sins. Verse 10 and 11 of this same scripture says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. You know why I put him to grief? How he put him to grief? By placing upon that perfect body our sins. 
It grieved the, the Son of God. It broke his heart to know that here was the perfect Son of God who had never sinned, who, had, who never knew what the taste of sin was like had sin placed upon your sins and my sins. And it grieved him. Think about it. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge or his righteousness shall his righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Christ went to the cross of Calvary as the sinless substitute, there God placed upon him our sins. In Matthew 27, 45 and 46 is where Jesus Christ spoke that, those words that, can, that ought to haunt you. Eli, Eli, Lamassa, back there. My God, my God, why is that? You know, that's when the darkness came upon all the earth. Here God turned His back upon His only Son. Why? Because Christ became our sin bearer. And God cannot look upon sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to move along here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, notice what it says here. If you'll turn there with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 21 down through verse 24. Notice this. The Bible says here in verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed his own, his own body to his heavenly Father who was going to judge him in a righteous manner, who his own self bear our sins in his own body. You know, I've heard people say, well, he didn't actually take upon him our sins. No, God's Word says that's exactly what he done. He took our sins to Calvary. He had no sin of his own. He placed those sins upon himself as the God-man who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. I'm still reminded of some of the wonderful things that my salvation has given me. You know, every day when I ask the Lord, forgive me, it doesn't matter what it's for. It could be a, a minor in, in, you know, imperfection in me, which I have many of them. You know what? I ask God to forgive me every day because I know I sin daily. I know as I look back over my life, you know, it may not have been some, uh, some of the most hideous sins that people are, are seeing even today, but the Bible states that sin is sin with God. It doesn't matter. There's no big sins, there's no little sins. When it comes to sin, it's sin. And I have to ask the Lord to forgive me every day. You know what? I'm thankful that he for, He's willing to forgive me every time I ask Him. 
First John chapter one verse nine, the Bible says that if we will take our sins before him, he is and plead that forgiveness that he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, I want you to know I lay claim to that. I trust in that word. Because if I didn't, if he didn't do that, I wouldn't have any peace whatsoever. But he gives me peace, amen. He gives me peace. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Isaiah has opened the eyes of many people from his day all the way up till Matthew 27. He pointed to Jesus Christ, the one who was going to come and give his life. You know what he's doing now? He's making intercession for every last one of us. In Isaiah 53 and verse 12, again, we go back here. And I want you to, I want you to be thankful for this because I think this means everything. The Bible says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressor. He's pleading our case today. Right now, he's pleading the case of his children, those whom he came to die for. Every time that the devil goes to the and, the... and the devil, you know, he's running to and from heaven and earth every day, all day long. He's looking and he's saying, hey, did you see what old preacher Lybrook done just now? Did you see the thought that went across his mind? Did you see the anger that might have flared up in his heart? He says that to God. He doesn't have to lie against me. You know, I've heard people say, well, the devil's lying. He's always lying. He's a father of lies. Yeah, but he don't have to lie when it comes to our sin. All he has to do is point out, there it is. There's the sin. It's in your mind, isn't it? You know what the devil done when that sin flashed before your mind? He went to God. But you know what Jesus Christ done? Jesus Christ, the holy potentate, the all-powerful, the all-I-am, He says, My Father, I paid their sin debt. I don't know about you, but that means everything to me to know that Jesus Christ is saying to my Heavenly Father, even today as the devil does not lie against me, I give him enough to do, I'll tell you. He doesn't have to lie against me. But every time that he goes and makes an accusation against me to my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ says, but Father, He's one of mine. I paid for Him. Now, I don't give us a right to go out and sin either. You know, I've been accused, I've had people to come up and because I'm an I'm a all-grace man and I believe in the grace of God, once in grace, always in grace. I believe once saved, always saved. I've had people to look me in the eye and say, well, you're one of them preachers that preach you can be saved one day and live like the devil the next. I said, no, no, if you're really saved by the grace of God, you're not going to want to live like the devil. There is a very good distinction there. Now, there are those that's made claim to salvation that live like the devil. They've never had a change of heart. 
Folks, if you've had a real change of heart, you're going to abstain from sin. You're going to do everything in your power to get away from it. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're going to sin. But we have an advocate. Amen? We have an advocate with the Father. I don't have to go to, to some little man in a booth somewhere and say, Father, I've sinned. I need you to go to heaven for me. No, no. I've got one that'll go to heaven for me. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the one. Who, he is my advocate. You know what that advocate does? He speaks on my behalf. Just like an advocate does today. It's, 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 in, the, it's in the term of, of, a, of a lawyer or something like that. He's somebody that speaks on your behalf. He knows the law. He knows and understands every, every question that's brought up. He understands it all because he's been there and done it. I don't understand everything. There's sins of ignorance that I commit that I do not even understand how, how it happened or why it happened or even if it was sin. Sins of ignorance. Sins of omission. You know, there's a lot of sins of commission. We know that. But there's also sins of omission. Knowing to do right and not do it is sin also. And you know what? Jesus Christ says, I'm going to I'm going to speak on your behalf. Romans 8, 26 and 27 speaks about the fact that we are we are forgiven and He speaks for us. Psalm 7 and 10 My defense is God. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 13 through 16, there is that word potentate used there. But you know, you know, we hear we hear this little group over here saying, There we got a potentate. No, you don't. Not if you're not saved by the grace of God, you don't have a potentate. The potentate is Jesus Christ, the all powerful, all knowing, all seeing God. There's your potentate. And that pot that word potentate means to have one in power, one in authority. It's a minister of the court. You know what he's doing? He's speaking for you and me. This then is the gospel according to Isaiah 53. May God use it not only for the salvation of lost souls, but for the benefit of his children. Look what he's done for us. May God bless is our prayer. Let's all stand please. Our most gracious and divine Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow before your throne, we thank you for the day which you give us. Pray now, Lord, that you bless thy word. Empower it, Father, to the salvation of lost souls. Forgive us our sin in Jesus Christ's name. And amen. Have our song leader, our pianist to come.